0: Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast with me, your host, Danny Kennedy, and you're listening to episode number 11. Welcome to the show today, guys, and before I get started, I wanted to just have a quick little chat. So, in the previous episodes, I've been really happy with how the interviews have gone and I guess the flow of the episodes and just how they sound, but In regards to the sessions or the podcast that I've been doing on my own, I feel as though it's a little bit too scripted. Um, It's really just not me and it's not exactly what I want the podcast to sound like and not the direction that I want it to go in. So as of today, uh, any podcast that I do on my own is going to be a little bit more free-flowing and and a bit more casual. And I'm not going to kind of stop and start the podcast and make sure everything's perfect. I just want to talk to you guys talk about whatever topic we're, we're speaking about on the day and, and get the content out. And I know you guys will probably appreciate that a bit more than just listening to some some type of scripted episode of the podcast. So in saying that, today's podcast is going to be a Q&A. I've put together a number of different questions that I get relatively regularly, whether that's through Snapchat, uh, my email, or from clients, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, I've put put together a list of questions, and I'm going to answer them. I'm going to give you my opinion and and what I what I feel is the correct answer. Um, you can take that and leave that, take that or leave it, guys. It's completely up to you. Um, but I'm confident that my answers to these questions, um, through my experience and the information that I've read, um, whether that's seminars, whether that's articles online, or speaking to other coaches, um, other physique competitors, athletes, and like I said, just my experience. Um, I'm very confident that my answers will lead you in the right direction. Um, so I hope t- hope you get a lot out of today's today's podcast. And with that, let's let's get started. So the first question, um, and I get a number of different questions on this topic, and it's in regards to ab training. So some of the questions I get are, you know, how often should I be training abs? What are the best exercises for abs or how do I reveal my abs? So Let's start off, the the only way to reveal your abs, regardless of how good the actual uh, muscular development is or the shape of your abs is, is to have a low enough body fat percentage to actually reveal them. So I'll use myself as an example. Even when I am prepping for a, a physique show, like a bodybuilding competition, it's really not until my body fat gets really low that my abs actually pop. Um, they come out they're really really visible whereas at the moment you know I'm sitting at kind of 10 to 12 percent body fat and you know my legs and arms back upper body pretty much everywhere is still looking really lean except my midsection is where I hold most of my body fat now I'm training my abs exactly the same as what I would be in a contest prep at the moment but they aren't they aren't showing they don't look as good as what they do when I'm ready for a comp because my body fat is higher so the only way to reveal your abs is to have a low enough body fat percentage. Um, one way to reveal them a little bit earlier, so with a bit, a bit higher body fat percent, I guess you could say, is to really develop the abs um, enough so that they pop a little bit more um, than the average person. And in regards to how often you should be training your abs, I see abs as the same as any other muscle group. So you wouldn't go into the gym and train legs, you know, five days a week, five days in a row, and you know, extremely high reps, and expect your legs to grow, or expect enough recovery in between those sessions. So, myself and for the majority of my clients, whether that's PT clients, an athlete, or an online client, I usually recommend anywhere from kind of two to four sessions max of direct ab training per week, because you got to keep in mind that all of your compound lifts, basically any lift in the gym, I, I guess, is incorporating your core muscles and, and your ab muscles. So you are going to be getting that activation, the strength, and the development from exercises that aren't particularly direct ab exercises. But in saying that, I still think it is beneficial, especially if you know getting those good-looking abs is what you're after to train abs directly. Now, that brings us to the other part of the question, and what are the best ab exercises? Now, this comes down to you know, Personal preference, in my opinion, um, some people, depending on their genetic makeup, uh, might feel some exercises better than they do others, and so my best exercise for lower abs, um, for me, that's usually either a hanging knee raise or a lying leg raise with a Swiss ball in between my ankles may not get the same lower ab activation as somebody else. So their favorite exercise might be a hanging leg raise or, you know, it, it, it really does vary. But I'm going to give you my favorite exercises for upper, lower and obliques. So my two favorite exercises for upper abs. First one is weighted crunches. And then the second one is just a regular crunch but using different variations. So whether that's legs up in the air, starting with your hands behind your head, starting with your hands out wide or whatever it may be, heels on the ground, heels in the air, just any type of crunch variation but really focusing on rolling the ribs towards the hips and not sitting all the way up. Remember, we don't want to engage our hip flexors or our lower back. Um, You want to tilt that pelvis back and really eliminate any momentum and use your abs, exhaling on every single rep. So for the obliques, my two favorite ones is, a, is what I call a landmine rotation. So if anybody u- has used a land pr- a landmine press or, or the attachment to do a landmine press, basically you put the barbell in or even if you just place the barbell in a corner of a gym, kind of lean into it so the barbell starts in front of your chest and then you're just rotating that barbell down to to your hip and then alternating to the other side, similar to a Russian twist, I guess. And then the other movement that I love is the side plank or also a side plank with a bit of a, a hip drop and then pressing the hip back up. They're just a couple of the oblique exercises that I really like. And for lower abs, as I've already mentioned, my favorite exercises are hanging knee raises and also lying leg raises with a Swiss ball in between your ankles. Now a couple of side notes for abs. There's some really important tips that I give the majority of my clients um, because majority of them are doing them wrong when they come to me. So For lower abs you need to roll your your hips towards your ribs so as i spoke about before when we're targeting our upper abs we're rolling our ribs down towards our hips so why would we not do the same for our to get our lower abs so most people doing lower ab exercises well what they think are lower ab exercises are really targeting their hip flexors because all they're doing is bringing either their knees or their legs up to 90 degrees so in line with their hips and they're not getting actually they're not actually getting any flexion of the lower abs. They're really just jamming up their hip flexors. So, upper abs roll your ribs towards your hips. Lower abs roll your hips towards your ribs. Um, bit of a mouthful, but you, you get what I'm saying there. The other thing is really just eliminate any momentum. So you don't need to rush through the exercises. So you see. People doing crunches, sets of 30, and they're just powering through trying to get through the reps, but they're getting no mind-to-muscle connection. So as I've mentioned at the start of this, it's the same as training any other muscle group. So really focus on overloading the abs, keep plenty of variety in there, keep the rep ranges, you know, have a mix of rep ranges, lower reps with heavier weight, uh, higher reps with lower weight, and as I mentioned, anywhere from two to four times per week directly, um, should be enough for you to develop your abs well enough so that when your body fat is, is at a level that you can reveal your abs, they're, they're looking good. Next question um, I get a lot is, how come when I went to gluten-free or when I went to no-carb or no-fat, I lost so much weight in such a short period of time? Now, I guess this comes down to correlation correlation sorry versus causation You have someone that's eating a ton of gluten, they're not having any problems with it. So, that's one thing I see far too often now is now that you're getting so many gluten free products and there's gluten free diets and stuff. People that aren't actually celiacs and aren't intolerant to gluten are claiming that they are because they think that's what made them lose weight is by cutting out gluten. But in actual fact, if you've gone from eating, you know, overeating and majority of those calories are coming from carbs and more than likely from gluten. And then all of a sudden you completely cut gluten out, then you know what do you expect? You are going to lose weight because you've just taken a chunk of calories out of your usual intake, and which has probably left you in a calorie deficit. So I'd be tracking your calories before you take out the gluten and then tracking them again after you've taken them out. And then if there's a massive difference, if you're you know you've just taken a massive chunk and you lose weight, well, you know, guess what? That's why you've lost weight, not because of the gluten but because of the reduction in calories. And the same thing goes for low carb or no carb or even low fat or no fat. If you're cutting out a whole macronutrient group, the chances are you're cutting out a chunk of your calories. And you know, I see this far too often and people think that that's the reason why they're losing fat or losing weight. As I've mentioned before, guys, your, your weight loss or your weight gain comes down to calories in versus calories out, your energy intake. To lose weight, you need to be in a negative energy balance. Now, regardless of how many carbs or how many fats you have, if you're in a negative energy balance, then you will lose weight and lose body fat. So I'm gonna leave it there. Um, you know, if you are intolerant to gluten or you are celiac, then you know it's common sense to not have that. But like I said, try the, the tracking the calories, see the difference in calories once you cut out the gluten, and then you can decide what's helped you lose that weight in the first place. Next question, branch chain aminos, so uh, so commonly known as BCAs. I get a lot of these questions asking um, whether or not um, whether it be a client or just a stranger asking whether or not they should use aminos and whether it's worth the money so branched chain amino acids are made up of three essential um, aminos leucine, isoleucine and valine so basically what aminos is going to do is it's been shown to increase your muscle, muscle protein synthesis that is also a mouthful and in some cases it has been shown to prevent fatigue in, um, mainly in novices so people just starting out but you do find these amino acids in most protein sources, like your meats, your eggs, and whatnot. So if you're getting, you know, sufficient amount of protein, if it's on the higher side, then the amino acids may not be as, you know, as beneficial as someone that's in a deficit, their calories are low, their proteins a little bit lower, they may need those aminos a little bit more to help repair the muscle, you know, reduce fatigue a little bit and keep that muscle protein synthesis high. So if your calories are low, I would definitely recommend BCAs. If you're in a nice surplus, you're putting on, you know, putting on weight slowly, gaining muscle, um, getting a lot of protein, then you know, if you've got the money, then you know it's a luxury. You don't need it, but it is beneficial if you are going to use it. Next question: creatine monohydrate. Keep this short and sweet. Um, the, the serving size and how often you should take it. So, first of all, I recommend creatine monohydrate as your creatine source. Secondly, I recommend 5 grams, so one serve of creatine every day um, and just keep that consistent. There's no need to load your creatine and then cycle it on and off and whatnot. Remember, the creatine is forcing that water into the uh, muscle cell. Um, It's going to make you look a little bit fuller. It's going to help you lift a little bit heavier. Um, It's not a a supplement that you're going to feel the effect as soon as you take it like a pre-workout that's got better alanine or something like that, but you will benefit from it over time and um, I guess something else that comes up relatively often for people in a calorie deficit is, you know, they ask me, should I be using creatine while I'm cutting? Because, you know, it's going to make me hold water and that's not what I want to do. But as I just mentioned, it's driving the water into the muscle cell. and but, but in that case, unless you have been using creatine monohydrate in your calorie surplus, in your building phase and your body's already, you know, using it and utilizing it and it's used to it, then it's probably not the especially if you're tracking average weight in a calorie deficit it's probably not the best thing to add in creatine you know deep into your cut or or your fat loss phase but by all means if you're using it before you start your cut or before you go into a deficit definitely keep it in it's going to help you maintain strength help you look a bit fuller um, and in general it's it's not going to do any harm in regards to water retention kind of under the skin so that's my, that's my take on creatine. Um, I've found massive success with using, using creatine consistently. Same with my clients, and there's a number of um, different studies that you can search up on the internet, just on Google, and they will suggest the, uh, the same thing. How, how do I improve or prevent lower back pain? So, something that is so common in society is tight hip flexors and underactive or, or lazy slash weak glutes. Now, that's caused by us sitting down for so long. So you, you might go to work, sit down for eight hours, and then you get in your car. If you live in a city like Melbourne, like I do, traffic is absolutely horrendous. You sit in the car, you're sitting down in that position again, your hip flexors are, are, are tightening up, they're, they're shortened, um, and then you might get home, eat dinner, sit down and watch TV. So you've just spent you know 80% plus of your day sitting down in that shortened hip flexor position. So what it does is eventually you get to the point where they're so tight, it pulls your your pelvis forward. So you get that anterior pelvic tilt. Now the result of that is overstretched hamstrings, which is such a common cause of hamstring injuries in sport. Um, You get that compressed lower spine, which is what's causing that back pain. But I guess more importantly is the fact that your glutes go lazy. They go underactive because they're not in a position to activate and fire when they should. So what we want to do is really work on releasing the hips, releasing the hip flexors, so stretching, mobility, um, whether that's myofascial release and whatnot to get the pelvis in a neutral position to allow the glutes to fire. Now, if you're at the point where you have back pain, your hip flexors are so tight, you get that anterior pelvic tilt, um, then you know chances are your, hip, your glutes have already gone lazy. So now you've got the battle of trying to get them working again and get them firing when they should be. Um, And, you know, that's where we bring in exercises like glute bridges, clamshells, a lot of band work um, with your strength training, stuff like Romanian deadlifts, squats, but making sure you're doing them in a way that you're activating your glutes. A lot of my clients that aren't using their glutes, I'll get them to wear a band, you know, above their kneecaps to get the glutes firing when we're doing squats or deadlifts. Um, Before we train, I'll always get them to to do mobility first. So before I get a client to train, we go through myofascial release, so foam rolling, Um, then we go into mobility and activation, and then we start. So if you're going into the gym and you're sitting on the bike or the, the treadmill for five minutes and then going straight into your workout, You know, you're not actually getting the muscles firing that you want to work. You're just wasting your time and, you know, get your heart rate, you know, you're putting in a half assed effort on the treadmill or the bike or cross train or whatever it is, and your body's not ready to go when you start. So, getting to the point, release your hip flexors. So, lengthen your hip flexors, get that pelvis in a neutral position, and really, really work on your glute activation and strength and power through your glutes. Your glutes are the powerhouse of your lower body, okay? So really work on that. And, you know, unless you've actually got a disc problem or something in your spine that is causing that back pain, if you're just tight through your lower back and you get sore when you train or you get sore after you've been sitting down too long, then that's the reason why. You've got that anterior pelvic tilt Your glutes aren't working, your spine's a little bit compressed and your hamstrings are tight. So start working on that and I guarantee that that back pain will eventually clear up once your glutes are firing and your pelvis is in that neutral position where it should be again. What is the best rep range for fat loss and toning? Now, first of all, you cannot tone a muscle. Um, That is a myth. So I guess that toned or defined look of a muscle is due to one having enough lean muscle mass there to actually have something to show, and two having low enough body fat levels, just like the abs, to reveal that muscle underneath. Um, So so rep ranges for fat loss or for toning and stuff, you know, there is no magic rep range that's going to lead to fat loss. In my opinion, you should be lifting heavy. You should be continuing to try and build strength and keep your Keep your. What am I trying to say? Trying. You're trying to keep your muscle mass there, or grow your muscle mass. So then, when your body fat levels do drop, then you're going to have that muscle to show, and that's where you get that toned look. I guess is is what we're after in this question. But in regards to rep ranges for fat loss, as I've just said, your your main the main thing you need to focus on for fat loss is being in energy deficit in a negative energy balance now you're going to get that from your nutrition you may need to get that from cardio conditioning so using cardio as a tool not starting your fat loss phase with a shit ton of cardio but dropping in calories a little bit training with weights lifting heavy enough to maintain if not increase that lean muscle mass so you're expending more energy at rest because the more lean muscle mass you have the harder your body has to work to maintain maintain that so um, you've got your calorie deficit you're lifting with weights which let me tell you an hour of intense weights training and resistance training will 90% of the time burn more calories than you sitting on the cross trainer for an hour and just rolling the legs over and watching tv at the gym so you know it's work in in a rep range that's going to allow you to maintain if not build muscle so you know for for hypertrophy most of the time that's anywhere from kind of 8 to 15 reps but you still want to work on your strength as well so for example in a fat loss phase i'll start off the workout in a lower rep range so i guess kind of six reps and below as the workout goes on i'll kind of progress into that eight to 15 rep range but not focusing on getting a burn because that's what's going to create that definition that's that's not that's not that's not what's going to work i'm lifting to maintain muscle mass i'm trying to hit my numbers that i've been hitting in a calorie surplus um, so that when my body fat levels drop then i have the muscle to show are supersets beneficial now there are a number of benefits for supersets but what i want to talk about today is i guess the common misconception that supersets are going to create you know that because they are so taxing you get so fatigued they're going to create that that i guess again that burn and you're thinking that that's what's going to build the muscle you, you're fatiguing your muscle that much you're damaging the muscle cells that much that they're going to grow they're going to repair they're going to regrow. they're going to get bigger But let me tell you this, if you're supersetting bench press with push-ups, you do your first set of bench press, you've got 8 reps and you hit 90 kilos, okay? 90 kilos on bench press for 8 reps, and then you superset that with 15 push-ups. So you go down, you do your 15 push-ups, you're feeling good, you're feeling pumped. Next set, you go do bench press, and all of a sudden you get 5 reps on 90 kilos. You go back, you do your push-ups, and you get 12 push-ups. You're feeling that burn, you're feeling really pumped, but let me tell you this Again, I keep saying, let me tell you this. I don't know why I say that. but So you've just gone back and on your second set, you have been three reps short on bench press. Okay, So three reps short on that 90 kilo bench press and you've also been three reps short on your push-ups. So your total volume for that session is already dropping whereas if you had have gone your three sets of eight on bench press, you've hit all eight reps at 90 kilos for three sets and you go through... You do your 15 push-ups, now all of a sudden your total volume is just gone through the roof compared to what it would have been if you're doing supersets. So you can see what I'm trying to say here. Supersets are great maybe at the end of a session if you're not really tracking your weight. You know, you're doing some isolation movements and you really are just trying to go for that ultimate fatigue. But if you're starting off your session with a superset and you're, you're failing, you're fatiguing to the point where you can't hit your numbers anymore, then you're not getting as much out of that session as you could if you were taking rest in between sets. So a great way to kind of, you know, keep the intensity up and I guess almost superset exercises is pick a exercise from separate muscle groups. So if you're training chest and back, instead of supersetting a chest with a chest, maybe superset a chest with a back, or maybe do a chest exercise. rest a short amount of time 45 to 60 seconds and then do your back exercise so your intensity's up you're getting more done in a shorter period of time but you're not you're not you're not having a negative effect on the amount of volume you can lift for that session to ultimately either build or maintain that muscle mass um so i hope i cleared that question up and i hope i hope that helps um what is flexible dieting? So this this is going to be a whole episode in itself, and this is what I want to do um, at some stage is just do a whole episode on flexible dieting, get through everything, so you guys have a, like a clear cut idea of what it actually is. So flexible dieting, if it fits your macros, um, you know. But in the meantime, I want you to head to www.dannykennedyfitness.com and have a look at my article I did. It's called, excuse me, it's called the ultimate guide to flexible dieting or if it fits your macros. It has everything in that blog. It's completely free. Everything in that blog that you need to know about flexible dieting, where whether it's working out what your maintenance calories is, working out what your macros are, what foods are good, um, what you can and can't do, some frequently asked questions. Seriously guys, check it out. As I said, it's completely free. I love to hear your feedback, so leave a comment if you've got any. Um, But as I mentioned, I will do an episode on this. But for now, definitely go to my website. So again, that was www.dannykennedyfitness.com and check out the article in my blog section. The last question I wanted to cover, it doesn't really have too much to do with fitness, but it's something that I was really excited to talk about, is how do I start a podcast or when should I start a podcast? So I'd say about, 10 months ago, I had the idea of starting this podcast, the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I didn't exactly have a name yet, but I knew I wanted to start one of this nature, cover these kind of topics, get this content out, and I basically sat on that thought for a good six months, I would say, so I'm in my third month now of podcasting. Uh, but I sat on it for about six months. You know, I kept saying to myself, you know, we'll start the podcast. Here's some people that we can interview. This is some ideas that we can run through. You know, we should do this for the thumbnail. Um, you know, this is what it should be called. This is how long the episode should go for. This is what microphone you should use, blah, 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 blah. But all this time, I'm just wasting. I, I didn't even have the podcast yet. I was so worried about what it should be called or what I should be talking about that you know it's no good talking about it and thinking about it if you don't even have the podcast so you know about 3 months ago 3 or 4 months ago i said to myself all right let's just get this thing done let's stop wasting time as it was one of my goals for this year to have this up and running so i said all right by the end of this week so you have 7 days maximum your podcast is going to be up and going regardless of what the quality is like regardless of what equipment you have you're gonna work it out. So I did all the research myself. Um, a, a good resource I use was Pat Flynn. So um, smart passive income. If you haven't checked out um, his guide to starting a podcast, I definitely suggest it if that's something you want to do. But you know, I looked on the internet. I looked up a ton of articles um, about what equipment to use, how to launch my podcast, um, how long they should go for, the equipment. Just. Just everything in general, what I should name it, um, what web hosting, you know, media hosting site I should use. I went through everything that I could, but I said to myself, at the end of this month, you're going to be, sorry, the end of this week, seven days, you're starting this podcast no matter what. So I went out, got my microphone, um, did a heap of research, worked out what I was going to use to record the podcast, what media hosting site, um, worked out how to get it on iTunes because that was my ultimate goal, to have this podcast on iTunes for, you know, millions of people to be able to listen to, to have it at their fingertips on their phone, on their computer. I wanted people to be able to hear what I have to say and be able to share my content with people all over the world. And iTunes was the first spot I went to. So within the seven days, had everything up and going. I got the design done for um, for my logo and the fitness and lifestyle podcast, came up with the name and all that type of stuff. And you know, I come up with the first topic that I wanted to do on the first episode and bang, I got it up. The, the, I got the episode up, the first few episodes were absolutely horrible, um, and even now, like I still think, to be honest, like the content is, gr- I, I feel as though the content is, is great, um, especially when I'm doing interviews and this stuff, even now, like I know this can help so many people, but even now, my podcasting skills are, are, are very bad, but the first few episodes, you know, I was nervous, it took me, like literally last week's episode, so the three tips to improve your squat. I'm not even kidding you. It took me over an hour to record because I keep overthinking things and whatnot. Um, and and the podcast went for like five or six minutes, I think. But the main thing is, is that content is out there now, regardless of how it sounds or what the quality's like or or whatnot. It's out there, and I started it, and now I now I'm you know I'm doing this. So I can just add episodes each week. It's up and going. Um, I'm committed to putting out at least one episode per week, and hopefully I'll be able to increase that as we go. Um, you know, but it's done. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, if there's something you want to start, whether it's a podcast, a YouTube channel, a business, whatever it is, is don't wait until tomorrow to do something that you can do today. So I suggest just doing it straight away. At you know, if you're if you've started, the quality's crap or whatever it may be. Is if you've started, you're way ahead of anyone else who's thinking about it. You know, there's no point thinking about it. Um, just do it. Um, over time, you'll get better. You know, I can imagine. 12 months' time, I'll be re- recording a podcast. I'll come back and listen to this episode or listen to the first few and just be thinking to myself, you know, what what the hell was that? But I'm looking forward to that because if I hadn't have acted, it might, may, might have been 12 months down the track and I still wasn't even doing it. So it's up now. It's going. So if there's something you want to do, just do it. Don't wait. It'll happen. It'll get better over time and and at least you're out there doing it. Um, so that brings me to the end of this episode of the podcast I feel as though I'm, I'm much happier with the way this flowed today um, I'm much happy with the kind of relaxed way the podcast went uh, I don't want it to be so scripted but I've still been able to get that content out there um, keep in mind that I'm going to keep the majority of the episodes as interviews. I've got some really cool guests coming up in the next few podcasts that I know you guys are going to absolutely love, so definitely stay stay tuned. Sorry. Um, listen, if you're listening today, please um, leave a review um, on the podcast. Make sure you, you rate the podcast, and please do subscribe so you can continue to hear my content and, and listen to what I have to share, not only me, but the guests that I have on the show. Uh, I'd like to finish the episode by saying I do have spaces open for my online coaching at the moment, um, completely personalized nutrition and training programs, uh, 24-7 supports, so, uh, full access to me. Um, You know, I'm 100% confident that I can teach you to eat and train um, in a way that's going to produce results for the rest of your life. Um, And once our program's done, it's not a reoccurring program where you have to continue to pay me to get my services. I can can guarantee that halfway through the program, you'll be fully confident to be able to take over yourself. I'll always be there, of course, to give you guidance, but I know that I can teach you uh, to be able to take control yourself. And ultimately, that's what you want. We don't want diets. We don't want short-term progress. We want long-term results, um, and I can give that to you. So thanks for listening today, guys. Um, I've enjoyed sharing this with you, and make sure you tune in next week for the uh, next episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Thanks, guys.